This last week, I had the opportunity to talk to Alisaria, a cardiovascular ICU nurse, also known as the ICU nurse on Instagram. You might know Al from his post that went viral earlier in the pandemic, talking about the gruesome process and drugs that are administered during the intubation process, which is part of the treatment for severe COVID, as a plea to encourage people to wear masks. Al and I talked not only about his profession and the stories of patients he's seen, which in and of itself were really eye-opening, but we also talked about how he's using his newfound platform on social media to advocate for issues like self-doubt um, in new nurses, as well as the social issues in today's society, like Black Lives Matter, and their implications on healthcare. There's just so, so much we talked about, so let's just get on with the episode. Enjoy. Everyone, uh, welcome to a brand new episode of Medspectives. Today I'm joined with Al, um, a cardiovascular ICU nurse um, in Arizona. Um, how are you doing today, Al? Hey, I am doing great. Just got off shift and I am, I am ready. <laughs> I am awesome. very awake. <laughs> awesome. And thank you so much for being um, with us today. I know like, you know, after a night shift, it could be, you know, kind of hard to stay awake, you know, during, um, you know, something like this, but I'm, I'm very thankful and I'm really excited for the conversation we're going to have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Awesome. So um, how, so the cardiovascular ICU, just like the name of it, you know, kind of sounds pretty intense. What exactly, you know, what kind of patients do you see on a normal basis? Um, and, you know, how has that changed, you know, the last couple of months? Well, we see cardiovascular ICU patients are mostly open heart patients. So we see our, um, what we call cabbage or bypass um, artery uh, coronary artery bypass uh, patients, um, usually elective surgeries, people that have been diagnosed with this stuff and they schedule surgery and it's all controlled. Um, but unfortunately, some of them turn really, really sick, end up in the, in the ICU for quite a while. Um, so that's, that's, that's why they're in the intensive care unit because they're so sensitive um, and it's such a critical, you know, surgery that, or, or so, um, I guess it, it requires a lot of skill and a lot of monitoring post-surgery that they, they need that attention of intensive care. Um, and I would say in the past two months, how this kind of has changed, we haven't been seeing a lot of the elective um, surgeries happening um, because our hospital has cut down because of COVID, uh, we don't want to bring in electives. But what that means is now we're seeing the cases that cannot wait. So they are sicker, right? It's more of an acute presentation to whatever cardiac conditions they have. And now they're requiring these surgeries and they're coming out of surgery sicker than before or really, really sensitive, really acute, really delicate. Um, so we are just seeing a lot of cases go bad, you know, because it's just like people that we had to take because there's no other way. Um, and, and then we tried our best. So it's unfortunate because, you know, it's, it's really what's happened with COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of scary, right? With like, especially having more high risk patients in, in the ICU, especially during this kind of time, it, requires you to, I guess, take like even harsher or stricter um, precautions in order to prevent, you know, further yeah. infection. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, the surgery cases that we're, what, that we're taking care of, uh, they're all getting tested for COVID regardless of symptoms or not. Um, we don't want to take them to the operating room if let's say they're asymptomatic but they're testing positive. What if they come back out of surgery and then they start developing COVID symptoms on top of their new heart, you know, um, bypass. So it's, so we're, it's, it's turned into a whole new way of playing the game, you know? Absolutely. Right. And how, how has that been for you? Like personally, like I know you, we were talking earlier, you, you just, you know, started working like last year and then all of a sudden being thrown into a pandemic. Like, I mean, I'm sure like it's already like an overwhelming career to begin with and then a whole nother overwhelming aspect to it as well. Yeah. Oh man. I absolutely, because we've, we, we have had patients that are both 
cardiac patients, but also now have COVID. So on top of having to deal with the, you know, how critically ill they are because of their heart condition, now throw on top a respiratory virus that further complicates. I mean, I don't know if you, you probably know this, but your risk level increases based on your uh, past medical history, like diabetes, hypertension, cancers, heart conditions or heart disease, right? So you become sicker or you have a more likelihood of becoming sicker from COVID if you have these issues. So add a heart disease patient, throw COVID on top and all of the things that happen in the ICU regularly for COVID for cardiac patients, but now throw in the nurses that can't just rush in the room. We have to put in all our, you know, put on our pappers or cappers or N95s and gowns and double glove. And if someone's crashing, you're taking that extra amount of time. It's just so much more complicated. It adds, it adds a whole new layer of, um, you know, like chances or probability that, that cases are just going to go south. So absolutely. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine, you know, seeing that kind of scene, like, you know, someone casing in front of you and then you have um, to kind of watch that while you're putting all your, your gear on before you can actually go and, yeah. and treat them. We've had, we've had um, instances where nurses have been, thankfully not me, but, you know, nurses that I, I feel are, completely capable and smart and uh, resources and mentors and just, you know, on their A game, like some of the top level nurses in this ICU go into rooms without um, their own uh, PPE because they forget because they just, they're thinking my patient's crashing. What I do is I run in the room. I don't think about myself, you know, and, and then they realize, oh my God, I never put on my helmet and here I am, you know. Uh, and, it, and it's happened in situations where it's not even an emergency. When you, you, go, you look from outside the room and you're like, hey, like, where's your helmet? Yeah. And, <laughs> and they just like touch their heads, you know. They're like, oh my God, it's gone. Yeah. What happened? So, and I'm like, it's, it's just, I think, I think the virus has been so overwhelming so consuming to a lot of us are like, you know, like, I don't know, just like our stability to like be able to like provide like good care and take care of ourselves. You know, it's just been, it's just been pretty brutal for sure. Right. Um, and I think like as nurses, you get a really interesting perspective on your patients, right? You kind of have to be there for them, like, you know, whenever. Right. And so that you probably, Hear, you probably hear a lot of things that they tell you, like maybe like I could imagine people being very scared, you know, in that kind of situation, not just because they have a cardiac condition, but because, you know, they might have COVID. Um, and like you said, the comorbidity aspect of it is very concerning too. Like, how yeah. are you hearing from patients? How are they feeling about it? You know, we, I had a patient that knew knew what type of conditions she had. She was, she was already um, a geriatric patient, so she was older. Um, she had diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease. She wasn't there for heart disease or for cardiac care. Um, she was there for shortness of breath, cough, fever, which are some of the, some of the key things yeah. for COVID. Um, she also had congestive heart failure. So we're thinking, okay, well, maybe your shortness of breath could be from, you know, a fluid overload uh, component. Um, and this is just kind of like an exacerbation of your condition. But it, it, and we ended up doing the COVID test, like we do on a lot of like patients that present respiratory wise or like respiratory um, sick, right? Uh, and she ended up having COVID, she ended up getting intubated. But before this whole thing happened, she knew she was afraid because she knew her condition. She, she knew that she had all these issues. She knew she had CHF, she knew she had, et cetera, right? Um, 
and she told me and mind you there's no family here in the in the, in the rooms no one can go see her she's in an isolation room i'm wearing a space helmet you know um i'm a complete stranger she can barely see my eyes you know because i'm wearing a mask underneath all that too and she's like trusting this complete stranger in a spacesuit asking me like please don't let me die you know and saying like just hearing those things and i'm like in a, in the back of my head i'm like okay you're this old you have these comorbidities i already know that you have covid and your oxygen saturation is dropping and you're probably going to get tubed, meaning the, in the, you know, intubated. And how, what, what type of reassurance can I give this person? You know, like we no longer have the ca capability to be sure. We can be compassionate. We can be, we can be empathetic. Absolutely. But that, that extra little reassurance that, you know, something's going to turn out. Okay. Um, you can't, you can't do that. There's, it's so hard telling someone or not telling someone because you just don't have the words for it anymore, you know? And that sucks. Cause I've always wanted to be someone that offers that like you're in good hands. We're going to do everything for you. This is going to be okay. Right. Um, but you cannot do that. So it's been, it's been tough because it's happened to me a few times. Um, and sometimes it's been with Spanish speaking, uh, patients that I speak Spanish to and no one else in that shift speaks Spanish. So I have to be the one that talks to them and mind you again, they're in a, in a city where they don't, they don't, they can't communicate with anyone else except for me or in a, in a hospital. Right. Um, so I've had to be the person that goes in and talks to them or listens to them and, and not offer any, any reassurance that they're going to be okay. Um, so that is a completely new thing to like worry about or like to, to deal with as a, as a nurse that I've just not had to deal with before. Yeah. That's, I feel like that could be, you know, very draining. Like, yeah. especially, you know, you're seeing that many different patients. Like, like I'm, it, it's amazing. Like how much, you know, how much, um, willpower and energy I'm seeing from you, like being able to deal with that many patients coming to you. And like you, like you said, like you clearly, the patient clearly has all these comorbidities. They have, they're older mm -hmm. and then they're asking for reassurance. It's like you feel powerless, right? Like oh, you just 100%. Yeah. That and feeling of powerlessness during this, this pandemic, I think is just, especially for health professionals must be like quite, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we, we've had people that are, coming in healthy no no past medical history like i was telling you um and then they end up very very sick and their ventilator settings are maxed and and they're barely having holding a saturation of oxygen and it's like well what's next you know like they're already on they're already intubated we can't there's not there's no further escalation and you're just thinking to yourself what happened? You know, this is, a uh, this is not what happens in the ice. Like, no, like they have no past medical history, no past medical history. People from pneumonia recover from pneumonia, you know, um, what, what is going on? And it's just how deadly this virus is and how scary it is for everyone around it or uh, for us, you know? Um, and yeah, it's, it's turned into like a helplessness thing where like, we even had um, a team in our hospital called the futility team where it's basically an intensivist followed by nurse practitioners and other doctors that will have to say this patient already has these comorbidities already is this sick already has been in the ICU vented for whatever amount of days their likelihood given the history of what we've seen, their likelihood of getting better is very slim. And we have to basically assess that and say, okay, statistically, this is futile. You know, we can't, we con continuing care or curative care 
is not not going to produce anything productive, right? So they basically have to make the decision to give that vent to another person that is wow. waiting, waiting for that vent on maxed out on oxygen without a tube. And, and I cannot imagine as, a, as an intensivist what that must be like, you know? Right. Like you want to paint each page, like your job is to treat every patient with, you know, the best that you can. And then in this situation where you physically cannot do that, must be like, oh my gosh. I, I know. And, and I see, you know, and I've seen it where like, it's, you know, the day shift is coming on and it's seven o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you know which patients in the unit for COVID are in that list of futility consult, right? And you're just thinking, like, are are they going to, you know, how, you, you think, how can I make this patient not look as sick as they are so that they don't make it to that list? And you're just like, what are we doing? Like, how did this turn into this? And it's because we have to it's almost like a, like a triage situation where you take care of the people that will live, right. Instead of the ones that won't. Um, and, and that's, that's it. That's, that's kind of how that runs. Um, thankfully that hasn't happened in a while because we haven't had the necessity or the, the, the demand for, for the vents as much as we did when we spiked in Arizona. So, but just knowing that that's something that happened and I know it's happened in other States. I know it happened in New York. It happened in Washington. So it's just like so bizarre that that's something that we've had to deal with, you know? Right. And it's crazy. Like you, I remember we were talking a little bit earlier about um, patients that didn't even have these comorbidities that are fighting this thing, like very, vigorously when you know you would think like you know someone that's um like athletic you know in a good condition would you know get over it pretty quickly um but like you said that's not the case no no we've had we've had patients that have i think the one i was telling you about earlier you know athlete 40 40 year old he was a runner you know like a heart rate and like a resting heart rate in the 50s Blood, beautiful blood pressure, uh, you know, just like all this, like not, not a sick person at all. Someone that you do not see in the ICU ever, ever. Um, unless I don't know, it's Arizona. So people get snake bites, you know, and it's like, you know, whatever, but no, no, no issues. Right. And then there, they can't, they tell you, I can't take a deep breath. Um, and they're, breathing in a heart in a, in a, in a, in a pattern that is just like super shallow and, and, you know, respiration count is like forties, fifties, not able to speak in full sentences anymore. And you're like, Oh my God, they're drowning, you know? And what do you do? And so then it becomes this, like, like, you know, that we need to put this too. And then they're like, yeah, you know, like it, it's, it's like, save me it becomes like a like stop me from drowning situation um rather than whatever else would make sense at that time it's just like please save me right so then they just we just sedate them and they get intubated and and it's just like how did this happen to a 40 year old you know healthy guy and then it makes me think about well i'm 36 and i don't have any health issues Maybe I'm a little chubby, but, <laughs> you know, maybe that puts me at a higher risk than that other guy. Um, and then I think, and then I remember when COVID first hit, we were intubating 21-year-olds um, that were in some college party. And they became sick after a few days. And then you're like, what, you know? So then you're like afraid for everybody else including yourself and but then you have to be the person that goes in that room that it's just like you know that the COVID is everywhere and uh, it's just like what what a what an opportunity (laughs) what a blessing to to have been part of that you know just what a wow it's like I don't know 
Sometimes I'm yeah. just like, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like you're at a loss of words sometimes. It just, yeah. it's just, I mean, you walk out of a shift and you're like, oh my goodness, what just happened, right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes some, you know, sometimes you do and sometimes you just like, it becomes your norm. It's, it's so bizarre. Like, I think of like, you know, when I posted that thing that went viral, and I started getting messages from all these people that supported what we do in the ICU. A lot of, a lot of what they're saying is, I can't believe this, this is what you do, or I can't believe how brave you guys are for doing that. I can't, I couldn't imagine putting myself in that situation. And I was, at first I was like, what? Like, yeah, like it's normal, you know, like it's, it's my job. Like, it's fine. Like, don't, don't, don't think of us as anything crazy, you know, like, but then I do think about it and I'm like, yeah, for the general population that has no idea what an ICU even looks like that has never had a family that sick that ended up in the ICU for anything. Um, they, they have no clue. Right. Other than like watching it on Grey's Anatomy, which is totally not, it's like, you know, it's not yes. really what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, like that's what that's what their perception is that like this is crazy, and and I should probably realize and be more present and realize, oh God, this is crazy. This is absolutely bonkers that we're doing this stuff. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and it's hit me a few times, but only when I allow myself to think of it. <laughs> Yeah. And that post was, I think, very, very eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, you know, the, the level of detail you go into, because people don't think about that, right? They think about COVID, they think about ventilators. They don't really think about all this medication that's associated with getting um, right. intubated, right? And um, if you just want to talk about, like, maybe that post, like, what were the, what was the case that might have, you know, directly inspired that post? Oh, right? Absolutely. Um, it was, I don't know exactly what happened. So I, it was my third or my fourth shift that, that week. And mind you, we do 12 hour shifts, three only, but this was an extra kind of man mandatory because we were overrun with COVID and they were asking all of these nurses to come in and work extra. So here I am on my fourth shift and we have to prone a patient. And I'll explain to you what proning is. You probably already know, but um, proning is basically when a patient is laying flat with their belly up, right? They're on their, on their back. Right. Uh, and they're already maxed out on the ventilator. And their oxygen saturation is not optimal. It's, let's say, in the 80%, 70%, right? One of the last ditch efforts that we do for patients in, in uh, severe respiratory, respiratory distress um, is we turn them on their bellies. We, we lay them down on their bellies so that they can have more surface area in their lungs to oxygenate better. And it's, it's proven, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intervention that has a lot of studies behind it uh, saying that it works and it's, it's like a good intervention for, you know, uh, severe respiratory failure. So anyway, we have a, it's my fourth shift. We have an otherwise healthy patient in the ICU, COVID ICU, and he is not able to keep his saturations up. And now um, not only is his oxygen uh, going down, his heart rate is also being impacted which is a secondary thing to not having enough oxygen in your blood. Um, so then I get orders from my, from my nurse practitioner. We're, gonna, we're going to paralyze the patient so that they stop trying to originate their own breaths. And we're going to prone them. And then we're going to put and, – and it just became more of a – these are all the medications that this person's going to need to be on. And it's basically, we're going to max them out on all of the sedation because they're going to be now paralyzed. We don't want them to be awake. That would be the worst nightmare to be awake and not able to move. Um, and now we're, and we're going to paralyze you so that you can't breathe on your own so that we can control every aspect of your breathing. 
and I was tired. I was so tired. And this is an otherwise healthy person that is no, that is not getting better. It's getting worse. It's on my last shift. I am so tired by then. And then I started thinking of people that I know, people that I, that I care about, family members, friends, uh, people that I can no longer have like intelligent conversations about this stuff because they just don't get it. And they're all just minding their own business and doing, you know, going to parties, going, going on, on social gatherings and, and spreading this stupid virus, you know? And I said, you know, this is what my patient, and that's why, that's where I just started writing. I took the picture of the little Vicaronium, which is the, the paralyzing agent um, that we started to induce the paralytic. And then I posted it and it's like, this is what we do in the ICU, in the COVID ICU. We put tubes everywhere. You get paralyzed, you get sedated with propofol, you get sedated with fentanyl. And these are the medications that have killed a lot of people or have been linked to a lot of deaths. Like these are not medications that we just play around with. This is, this stuff is serious, you know? And you get, you get paralyzed, you get tubes everywhere. You get nutrition coming down your, your esophagus. You name it, there's a tube, you know? Um, you're prone. I don't even think I talk about proning, but you also get prone, you know? You're alone. Your family's not there. And add that to the fact that you don't want to wear a mask, right? You don't want to wear a mask. Therefore, in an in a unfortunate series of events, this guy in front of me is now fighting for his life. Not because of you directly, but people like you that don't want to wear a mask. So I said, stop bitching. Stop bitching about where, yeah. <laughs> where you know. Um, that is what it is. Like, yeah. So when you have to bitch about wearing a mask, think of these people that I take care of. Something like that. And, and I posted it. And I was just telling my friends and my family. And then the post just went crazy. So... Yeah. And so I that, think that, that was the day. That was the that, that was my shift. That was where I was mentally, I was drained, I was tired, I was sick and tired of being tired. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I could kind of feel that, you know, from the post, the, the sense of just like you said, tiredness of being, you know, having to deal with this for so long without people understanding what you're dealing with and doing anything to solve that. And these are the things that I feel like need to be on the TV, right? These are the cases and the stories that should be like on the news about COVID, not, you know, not just some anchors, you know, talking about, oh, these are the new case counts. This is the new, um, right. But these, these stories of what you're actually doing on the day to day and the really traumatic treatment that you have to provide to patients in order to save their lives. Oh yeah. I feel, I, I agree with that. And I also want to be my own critic and, from the feedback that I've gotten from people that do not agree with the way that I worded things or the way that I wrote them out, um, they're thinking or they're saying, well, you can't just use fear to get to the minds of people, right? Um, and, and to that I say, well, I feel like our whole country right now is, <laughs> is being run by fear. Um, from, you know, oh, you must fear um, immigrants. Therefore, we have to build this wall to keep the scary immigrants away. Uh, you have to fear, I don't know. I'm just going back to political stuff. But yeah. um, I'm just thinking, like, it, it's not that I want to create fear. It's more of a, like, an awareness thing, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you're creating you know, a reality at the end Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's raw. It's so raw. It's like, you, this is what happens in the ICU. And I'm going to tell it to you in words that you can understand, because I don't want to throw out like big medical words or whatever, you know, abbreviations that you're not going to understand, because it's not your job. It's not your skill set, whatever. And, and that's where that's, that's why I had to, I, I just had to share that. And I'm like, you need to understand that what we're doing in the ICU is traumatic. It's, it's, it's probably going to create trauma, like psychological, like PTSD type of stuff to these patients. Because 
Another thing that's not on that post is the process of getting intubated when you are a COVID patient. And in our hospital, and I think a lot of other hospitals are doing this, they are using a plastic clear, transparent bag, okay, plastic bag, and they're throwing it on top of you while you're sedated, of course, already. But sometimes you're not fully, you know, uh, um, already sedated. And you're, you may be some sort of awake. And can you imagine being in a bed surrounded by a complete set of strangers on hel with helmets on and you can't breathe? And on top of that, they're throwing a plastic bag over you. That must be... You know, so I'm like, on top of all the things that we do to keep you alive, to give you a fighting chance, think of, just think of like how much more trauma these people are going through. But people just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people do, but I've had some conversations where I've tried my best to like educate and, and offer reassurance and offer clarification about anything that i've talked about and it's it's like it, it they don't want to they don't want yeah. to realize it it's like their truth is more valuable to them than learning another truth or the truth <laughs> right yeah i can't believe yeah. that and i think like this post you know you went viral and then you became like someone that people look to, right, for, you know, more insight on how it is to be a nurse and kind of a perspective like that. And then that kind of, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but threw you into a position where you're um, showing people how it is and kind of being like a leader in that sense, right, in sharing um, it is how it is on social media. How has that been for you? You know, before this post went viral, um, my account, I, so I have, I had a personal, um, Instagram account where I posted guitar videos. I posted, you know, pictures from trips, food things, whatever. Right. Um, what a lot of people do on Instagram, which is just like fun. And, and then I, I finished, uh, nursing school and, and I wanted to, help other new grad nurses or students um, feel supported, feel encouraged, feel supported, answer questions, uh, let them know that yes, it's hard, but you're not alone. Um, know your worth, you know, do, do not talk to yourself negatively. Um, all these things matter, you know, like it, it's, it, anyway, so it was like a very supportive type of thing that I wanted to do for new grads. And after the, after I posted this thing on my now, you know, nursing account, um, and it went viral, I got a lot of messages from people that were like, Hey, I'm a nursing student. Um, Hey, I'm almost done with school or, Hey, I'm also a new grad. I admire what you're doing. Um, you know, like any words of wisdom, whatever. So it's been aside from the COVID post and anything else that I'm posting about, there's this like community that is now like looking at me for advice on the things that I wanted to create this account for in the first place, you know? And that is the coolest thing. That's the, like the best thing. Cause I'm like, now I have this platform and I can literally say anything I want. Right. Cause it's like my own like freedom of speech and it's all the things that I want to talk about is advocating for new grads, advocating for student nurses, for all the self-doubt that these people go through, including myself, right? And offer that support. And it's been, it's been wonderful because now I can reach 20,000 people instead of like 200, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's really cool. It's, it's been, I think, the best thing about this whole thing for me. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, I'm sure like I, like I was reading through comments and stuff, like people – People are really, I mean, of course, there's the, the, uh, the weird comments, but then there's the people that are always, like, very genuinely, like, interested and um, invested in this. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that, that's amazing. I know. I know. It's really cool. It's just cool to see, you know, and, and for a second, uh, whenever I reply to people, 
and right. and they they you know they send a message out and they're like hey i really admire what you're doing or whatever and then a week later when i see when i go through like the message requests and i like have time and i reply they they are so shocked <laughs> like yeah. oh my god you're replying to me yeah and I'm like, what? Like, yeah, of course I'm replying to you. Like, you know, what do you think? I'm like, normal. I'm not, you know, whatever you think I am. Yeah, and I know you had that um, that video actually. It was, I, I watched part of it um, about like, you know, the interview questions um, that you would probably see. Like, in, in saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then there was this one comment that was like literally talking about how she watched your video the day before her interview and then she used what you told her like in the interview and she got the job. Like, <laughs> Isn't that that's cool? crazy i know yeah. i know and yeah i've i've gotten that feedback on on youtube a lot like a lot of those comments and i'm like gaining all these followers or whatever subscribers on youtube and i haven't posted anything on youtube since yeah. july of last year right that video yeah. um and now i'm like gaining more followers because of the or, of the social media thing or, or the instagram thing so and, and the feedback that I'm getting is like, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting the job or like, this is helping me formulate my own answers um, and landing the job. And I'm like, you know, perfect. Great. Cause like, right. that is exactly why I wanted to make this video. Cause I know, I know how hard it is to like go into an interview feeling not confident and having to fake, you know, having to fake the way that you're presenting yourself kind of like imposter syndrome. Right. Um, and and just like be able to, to like carry yourself through conversation and how much better it would be if you have basically like a cheat sheet on already what not not like a like a you know memorized speech of what you're gonna say but an idea of what instances you can think of in your personal life or you know professional experience where you can say where you can like plot that into an answer and it will be a great example. And then it, it amplifies your like confidence to be able to like have a better interview and like more relaxed and like, you know, like carry yourself. So yeah, I feel like that got through people and people have gotten the job. And I, I just gave that video link to a friend of mine from work that is trying to get into the ICU. So, and her interview is this Monday. So I'm like, Please watch it. I know it's me and it's awkward because like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, know it, yeah. my stupid stuff, you know, but, um, but I, then she showed me some like little snippet thing that she's actually watching it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's cool. It's just cool that I can do that without really intending it to like be, I don't know, you know, like blow up out of proportion and, but I'm just glad that it like it's reached people. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I could, I could imagine like that, that, that is just awesome. Um, you know, yeah, it's just, absolutely. um, yeah. seeing, yeah, seeing, seeing people, you know, reach their goals with your help, right. You're not only treating your patients, but you're helping other people treat their patients. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, recently I updated my resume because I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to relocate and, look for jobs in, in another, in other hospitals and whatnot. So I'm like, all right, it's time to like get my resume, you know, up to speed. Mm -hmm. And I included that, you know, that I, that I do like encouragement and supportive stuff through social media, something that I couldn't claim before. Uh, and I, and I put it under volunteering, you know, cause I'm not getting paid yeah. for any of this stuff. Yeah. So, so now I'm like, all right, cool. And I, now I can say that I actually do this, you know, um, and I don't know, like people have talked to me about like monetizing this stuff, but I'm like, I already have a job, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know why. But then there's that saying like, oh, if you do something well, don't do it for free. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. It's not, it's not in me to want to charge people for being nice, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, like with, with YouTube, especially like you just run ads and then use that revenue to make even more, you know, right. engaging so content and stuff. Yeah. Like, right. yeah. That, that's so. a good idea. See, I've never thought of that. Yeah, um, so that I have a chat with you about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and you know, it's been a really nice conversation. Um, I think just to close out, like, you know, you've been working for, um, almost like a year now or no, over a year, year now. Yeah. A little bit yeah. over a little bit over a year now what what has been you know the most significant 
moment of your career or like significant patient encounter? You just want to tell us a little story about. Of course. Um, I can, may I share this story that we talked about? Sure. Yeah. So, um, in, it's kind of weird because we already talked about it, but (laughs) the same thing. It's just, it's such a cool story to me. Uh, so we had a patient um, like, like I've mentioned before where they don't have a lot of comorbidities. This guy had nothing, right? Uh, 40 year old athlete, no past medical history, not even a single medication that he would ever take for anything. Um, ended up being intubated in the ICU for nine days. And, um, he, he was pretty sick. He was really anxious. He, we tried to extubate him. It didn't go well. He aspirated stomach contents into his um, into his uh, lungs, and then just became super, super sick for the the nine days that was that he was there. Um, we offered him a lot of reassurance when when he was there, and not only that, like his wife was like out of the country and not able to come, not able to like even speak to us because of like a language barrier. So he was completely alone on top of everything. Right. Wow. Yeah. So then he left the unit. Um, and then weeks later we get a card from the guy, um, saying you guys gave me so much compassion, so much empathy. Um, I'll never forget any of you or, all of you, right? And I changed, I, I left the ICU a changed man. Um, and today, as of today, I am back to work. And um, that brought everything that we are doing in the ICU, all of the people that have been dying, all of the unjust cases where people are just losing their lives because of this virus, because someone else didn't didn't quarantine or they didn't quarantine and now they're dead at 50 they're dead at 30 they're dead at you know 26 um it just brought all of the things that we're doing like full circle and i had never teared up you know like cried as an adult <laughs> professional um until that day and i was reading that card and and i got like that like feeling in the in my in my throat where like i just know that i'm gonna start tearing up and and i did and i was like okay that has to be the most memorable thing i've ever experienced in any job ever (laughs) you know people go to work and they they just come back home after they clock out this was this was like almost like life-changing for me you know um knowing that knowing that my job and what I'm doing for these people has been the most impactful thing that they'll ever live through and carrying that for the rest of my life is like such a gift. So, yeah. yeah. I bet, especially like I think in the ICU, right? You see people at their absolute worst. Um, yeah. And then you often don't hear from them, like, you know, when they're, no. they're all good and stuff. And they don't even remember you, right? Because right. you were intubated, they were sedated, you took care of them, <clears throat> you talked to them, then they get extubated and then they leave and then they never come back. Um, so there's this thing in the hospital where like all the other units that are, we call them med search, right? The, medical surgical units where people are not intubated. They're usually there for a few days or whatever, whatever brought them into the hospital. Um, all those nurses get a lot of recognition from the patients, but the ICU nurses, no one remembers them. Uh, and it's like, well, it's going to be really hard to get like, you know, a patient like satisfaction, uh, like an individual because like no one knows who you are, you right. know? So it's like kind of like unsung heroes or something. It's just, it's kind of cool like that we're able to like help people during like their most critical or like the sickest they've ever been in their lives. Um, and just, I don't know, kind of ironic that they'll never know who we were, you know, which is, yeah. I feel like that's fine. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. And then the few moments that you do hear back from them must be like, like you said, like life. Like yeah. 
and you know and he brought us chocolates that day like he oh, took like a box of chocolates yeah. um and the card and it, it, it was me and like four other nurses that we had all worked the same days that this guy had been in the icu um and they're like oh like they told me like hey someone someone sent us chocolates and a card i was like oh that's cool and they're like oh go read the card i was like what like usually it's just a card you know like oh thanks yeah. for everything you do whatever um and and i read the card and i started going line by line and i was like oh oh this guy oh my god it is and then i see the signature and i'm like wow. full circle they're like isn't that crazy and and uh, yeah like all of these nurses and me like we all did the, the rotations together when COVID just first hit and he was one of the first patients you know that made it out alive um and it was just like yes man <laughs> like it's like there is like, light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> yeah yeah we i i felt like i it gave me like enough like energy to be able to go and say you know what like rewind and let's start again and i would i would gladly 100 do it if i could feel this better this how great i felt right now again yeah. you know um so that that was cool that's something that i'll never forget that's awesome and you know working yeah. during this time this early in your career like the rest of your career like we were talking about earlier is going to be a breeze you know yeah oh man i know I, i'm just thinking like and, and and i was talking to um charge nurses or, or our manager that has been there for 20 some of them have been like 30 years as nurses wow, yeah. i'm like it, has there any other time in your nursing career where this has been you know where anything has been as bad or worse and they're like, you know what, not even like the scare of Ebola, right? Remember that um, was bad because obviously we never had cases. We probably had like two in the whole country. Right. Um, so Ebola was one. Then previous to that was HIV and people not knowing how you can get the virus, right? And there was there was all these theories and, and like a lot of fear of like, catching HIV and dying because like in the 80s and 90s you you would die you know right um so there was there was or or like the H1N1 uh influenza thing that happened to none of these none of these have been they're like except they, they were all a breeze there's nothing in my 30 years of nursing that has compared to what we're dealing with now so that gives me hope that if I have another 30 years of like my career ahead of me, yeah. that this will be the worst it gets. <laughs> right. So yeah. So awesome. if I can make it out of this COVID thing, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And you've been doing an amazing job and I'm really hey, thankful for all that you've done. Yeah, thank um, you. Yeah. And thank you so much for having this conversation um, with us. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, you know, before we sign off? Yeah. Um, I guess thanks for having me and I think it's important that regardless of what our political stance is or political preference or party preference or whatever, um, listen, listen to the healthcare workers, listen to, to the scientists, to the infectious disease, disease researchers, um, to people creating the vaccines, look for these people, educate yourselves. Do not just go with what your comfort, um, you know, like the, the area where you feel comfortable or like the outlets where you feel comfortable reading this information or whatever information you, you choose to believe is true. Don't just go to them. Get uncomfortable. Get, just listen, listen to more people than just the ones that you care about listening from. Um, and I think, it, and that applies to anything, right? Not just like COVID, but like even like like with movements like Black Lives Matter or mm -hmm. uh, immigration issues. It's so much, so much that there's just like, do not just listen to your one outlet. Expand your minds, you know, educate yourselves, advocate for yourselves, educate others. And I think that's, that's, all, I, that's all we can do that is very passive but at the same time it's so aggressively active that it's just the only way that i can think of right now 
in this socially distanced world where we can make something impactful. Yeah. And that was very, very well said. I think it applies not only to COVID, but like you said, Black Lives Matter, any kind of issue going on right now. Yeah. uh, Just listen to people, right? Like that's just, it's just as easy as that sometimes. Yeah. Get uncomfortable. Even, even like, you know, if, if we can like talk about like, just like political preferences or parties, et cetera, let, you know, I, I can definitely like say, I do not like one person's point of view um, politically. However, I want to know what they stand for, right? And why they stand for it. And then I would be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. This is their life experience. This is what they grew up with. This is what their party has been all about. This is why they're, you know, why everyone has voted for this before. This is what they're, um, you know, like their voters want. And this is, this has been their experience. So it, it, it opens you up to not just pointing a finger and saying like, oh, these, this party is the devil or this party is terrible or they're a bunch of racists or something, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, you, I, I can't just categorize based on my simple assumption, you know? And, and that is, that is very powerful if you apply that to basically anything that's polarizing, even like things like COVID, right? I can't just like listen to the people I work with or listen to myself because that's my experience. But hey, guess what? There's like, like if they tell me tomorrow, like, hey, the research that, you know, the, the hundreds of papers, peer reviewed papers on wearing masks have all thro- been thrown out and this new evidence shows that this is garbage. I'm going to, I'm probably going to back that up because I, I believe in the power of science and, 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 you know, um, so I'm not just like picking my side and standing behind whatever truth I want to believe. I, I, it's something that I have to like investigate and, and I think we all have that sort of responsibility, you know, and if you're not, then you're just irresponsibly choosing a side. Right. And then that, what does that say about you? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Al. I really, really had enjoyed this. Um, yes, sir. Me too. Thank you.